0: EO Fire 1218.
1: Not only was I the most polluted person I knew, I actually polluted others for a living.
0: Hey, Fire Nation, and welcome to EO Fire, where I chat with inspiring entrepreneurs seven days a week. If you're ready to create, grow, and monetize your podcast, text Podcast Course, all one word, to 33444 and ignite. Fire Nation, in the house, John Lee Doom is here, and I am fired up to bring you our featured guest today, Scott Harrison. Scott, are you prepared to ignite?
1: Absolutely. Let's go.
0: Scott is the founder and CEO of Charity Water, a nonprofit organization working to bring clean and safe drinking water to the 633 million people living without it around the world. In eight years, Charity Water has funded over 16,000 water projects, providing over 5.2 million people with clean water. Scott, take a minute, fill in some gaps from that intro, and give us just a little glimpse in your personal life.
1: Sure. Well, I, I guess my story is, is, is non-traditional uh, in the charity world. I, uh, I came to this space uh, by way of nightclub promotion. Uh, I basically partied my brains off for 10 years in New York City <laughs> uh, from the age of 18 to 28 and lived uh, perhaps the most soulless and decadent life that you can imagine. Uh, and uh, was fortunate enough to, to find my way out of it at 28 years old. Um, and, and really explore what the opposite of, of the life of a nightclub promoter uh, would look like. And uh, that, that took me on a humanitarian mission to Liberia after selling all my positions, and I went to go live in the poorest country of the world. You know, to set the stage at the time, this is about uh, 11 years ago, there was no electricity, there was no running water, there was no sewage, there was no mail. Uh, Charles Taylor, the dictator, had just been thrown out after waging a brutal 14-year civil war using child soldiers. And I had gone in on a humanitarian mission with a group of doctors and surgeons uh, who were really trying to pick up the pieces and, and help people. Uh, the country had one doctor for every 50,000 of its citizens, uh, to give you a comparison, here in America, I think it's you know one for every 180 of us. Wow. So if you got sick in the country, you're just completely out of luck. And I was actually living on a, a hospital ship, a 522-foot converted yacht uh, that had been gutted and turned into the state-of-the-art hospital, and uh, this humanitarian group had just sailed up and down the coast of Africa with the best doctors in the world, would pull into port And thousands and thousands of people would be waiting, uh, hoping to see a doctor, hoping to be healed. So it was an incredibly moving experience, very different from my world of, you know, popping $500 bottles of Cristal and uh, getting people drunk for a living. And I was just deeply moved by by what I saw. You know, I I saw uh, patients with leprosy. I saw people with massive facial tumors. I saw people missing their faces. Uh, with flesh eating disease and uh, cleft lips and cleft palates and terrible, terrible burns, uh, from, from the rebels. And, uh, you know, many of these stories ended hopefully as the doctors were able to help, as they were able to save lives, as they were able to bring medical care. Um, and I, and I spent the better part of two years, uh, serving on this organization. And I think, you know, what struck me the most. Was as I went into these rural villages, into the remote areas of the country, I saw people drinking dirty water. And I'd never seen children drink from swamps before, from water I wouldn't let my dog drink. Uh, I'd never seen, you know, women walk hours to a source that, um, that was brown and viscous and contaminated, you know, with, with algae and bacteria. And, spending time with a doctor, seeing thousands and thousands of people uh, with various illnesses, um, and then learning that half of the country didn't have clean water to drink. Half of the population didn't have their most basic health need met. Uh, that's really what led me to go and work on on the global water crisis.
0: So there's so much here that I want to dive into, Scott. And First and foremost, just hearing you talk about your story, have you written a book about your life yet?
1: <laughs> I'm gonna try and do that next year. <laughs> okay. Next year I think that'd be a great it's goal. It's really been difficult to just to find the time. Uh you know, trying to to grow the organization and and as you said, help those six hundred and some million people. Um really haven't had had time to, to sit and pause for reflection.
0: Have you ever read Malcolm X's biography? I haven't. I haven't. Is it, it is uh,
1: is it worth reading?
0: Fascinating, Scott. I think you'll see actually a ton of similarities between your journey and his journey. He was you know growing up in Boston in New York City and he was doing just those things. like That was his life and his job was to get people high and to get people drunk and to make money that way until he had that big awakening. And I just really, I'm reading it right now, I'm only about 40% through, but I had no idea of this aspect of Malcolm X's mm-hmm. life. Just like I bet a lot of people, when they just see you, the CEO of Charity Water, have no idea of that past that you had And what I think it will do is it will inspire people that are maybe currently on that path that you were on and that Malcolm X was on and say, hey, you know, I can turn this around like I can do something meaningful in my life. I'm not stuck on this road. So looking forward to that, Scott, I'll tell you what, when you come back on, I mean, or I should say, we'll have you back on when you launch that biography. Awesome, man. So listen, man, let's get into a story now because EO Fire, we are all about the stories of really your life as an entrepreneur and the journey specifically, and you've had some great times. And we're going to talk about those, but I really want you to take us to what you would consider up to this moment, your worst entrepreneurial moment to date within your business. What would you say that moment is? What's the story that surrounds that?
1: you know i think i would even go back to a a pre-charity water uh business you know you know growing up uh, i guess i was always uh, always the entrepreneur you know with a leaf blowing business or knocking on doors trying to sell people christmas cards in in my neighborhood um and you know even even the foray into nightlife uh, i kind of stumbled into that when my band broke up and i realized that the guy who was booking my band out was making all the money <laughs> and throwing us the scraps and and uh, being on the other side of that business was was really the way to to succeed. Um, but it's kind of a random story. Uh, you know, I was I was going to you know, I was in only a little little more background. I, I was raised in a very conservative Christian home, and my mother became an invalid when I was four years old. There was a terrible carbon monoxide gas leak in our house. The gas company had literally installed a faulty furnace with cracks in it. And carbon monoxide was rushing through our home and uh, affected my dad and I a little. But my mom specifically was was fixing up the basement and became chronically ill uh, and, and invalided uh, when I was four. So I grew up in a, in a pretty bizarre uh, childhood, uh, caregiver role, only child with a really sick mom. And I think that led to this radical rebellion at the age of 18, you know, en- enough of a uh, serving mom, enough playing by the the good rules of the church, you know, now it's my turn. And and that led to just a a decade of selfishness and debauchery and drugs and alcohol and smoking and pornography and gambling and pretty much any addiction you can imagine uh, 10 years in the nightlife would, you know, would give you short of heroin. Um, but I, I, about 20 uh, years old I had gotten, um, I had gotten taken advantage of by Chase Bank, uh, the, the big bank. And I was this—I uh, was just starting out in my business. And, um, uh, you know, this was back kind of early ATM cards. One day, I log into my bank account, and I realized that about $1,000 has gone missing. And, uh, you know, I call up Chase, and it turns out that somebody in Las Vegas has ordered $1,000 of limos on my debit card. Now, I have never been to Las Vegas in my life at this point. And I called Chase and said, you know, hey, hey, kindly, Chase, that's not me. And I can prove that I wasn't in Las Vegas. Well, they hold my money for a year. What? Uh, over a year. And they just say, well, you have to prove it. And, you know, it's not like American Express. that just takes your word for it. So you know, this is in the early age of the dot com. So I set up ChaseBankSucks.com. <laughs> <laughs> and I am going to just tell the world what a horrible bank this is. And, you know, someday they're going to buy this website for me for millions of dollars because I've made such a stink. (laughs) So part of it actually works and it gets hundreds of thousands of visitors and uh, thousands and thousands of stories. uh, So much so that I have to set up different divisions of this website for people that have been uh, offended by the mortgage department, offended (laughs) by the credit card (laughs) department, offended by the banking department. So I'm not alone. Uh, but you know, I'm this 20 year old kid, you know, living in a one bedroom apartment in in uh, the West Village, and uh, I, I get interviewed by this show, Business 2.0, and in it they interview some top executive Chase, you know, who starts talking about me, and you know, is basically just completely dismissive. And then they eventually write me some threatening lawsuits, um, some letter that I kind of ignore, and the whole thing went absolutely nowhere. Uh you know, so I paid for a bunch of hosting fees over a couple period of years, saw zero dollars from Chase, <laughs> and I guess provided a bunch of people a place to vent. So uh not a very smart uh use of time or energy or or resources.
0: Yeah, but I do kind of want to focus on that last point that you did probably give a lot of people a place to vent and who knows what disasters they avoided because they actually had a release and a place to actually go out there and vent as well. And and of course, you know, Scott, I'm sure you learned a few things from that. So going forward when you you did this or you did that going forward in your 20s and then into your 30s, you know, you took those lessons with you. So... Love that story. I mean, I can just kind of picture you in the West Village, you know, like in your boxers just like hunched over the computer, just like kind of looking at all these different things from Chase Bank.
1: This is early internet. This is, yeah, you know, yeah. go GoTo.com, DogPile, Lycos, HotBot, <laughs> Excite, right? Back when there were a million search engines. And I, I remember at the top of this website, there was an animated GIF of a man who walks across the top of the webpage, drops his drawers and pees on the Chase logo, <laughs> I mean, it was the most silly amateur, you know, thing ever. And it, ironically, I'm a happy Chase customer today. And
0: <laughs> yeah, it's know, kind of funny because uh, I am. Maybe too. they'll <laughs> listen to this,
1: and, and my credit card won't work next week. But <laughs> you know, this was this was a, you know an angry college kid that that thought he got screwed by the system, and um you know, thousand dollars meant a lot uh, at the time.
0: Well, let's kind of maybe sum this up now, Scott, because you probably learned a lot from that and and that was quite the experience. But what is just the one takeaway that you want our listeners, Fire Nation, to really get from that story?
1: You know, one of the things Charity Water has done really well uh, over the last uh, nine years is given people a place to, um, to bring their story. Uh, so, you know there i was I was encouraging people to bring their most pessimistic, snarky, um, almost stories of contempt, right? Stories of anger and hate. And you know, charity water for the last nine years has been a place where people can bring the very best of themselves, uh, their compassion, their empathy, their generosity, their creativity, uh, where they can focus on serving serving the poor, serving people you know, born in situations without their most basic needs met. And we've really, we've become a platform um, and given people many different ways where they can serve others, whether it's with their time, whether it's with their talent, whether it's with their money. So if, you know, if Chase Pink it's funny, I've never thought about this. I, I don't think I've ever told this story before. Love it. Because um, uh, nobody's asked the, the question quite right. like that. but. You know if Chase Bank cites uh, just Chase Bank sucks uh, what uh, twenty years ago was a place where you know hundreds of thousands of angry people came, you know charity water has been a place where over a million people have brought the best of themselves uh, to to really make the world a better place
0: Scott, I love that story, and that 's exactly why you know we start e o fire off with with that moment because it does usually bring people back to a time that maybe they haven 't thought of or they 've suppressed for a while because it's it's powerful to think about our past mistakes and struggles and setbacks because it's part of what makes us who we are today. So Fire Nation, like, you know, don't shy away from those things. And on the flip side, Scott, I'd love to hear another story, but this one is an epiphany, an aha moment, a light bulb that you've had go off at some point in your journey, and you've had a ton of these. I mean, I know Charity Water was one of those, and and maybe you want to share that moment. But this is your call. This is your story. What story do you want to share with Fire Nation? that involves an aha moment that you've had, that you've turned into success? I think it was probably
1: that, that moment of, of turning my life around. So, as I mentioned, you know, this, this uh, upbringing, uh, helping to take care of mom, you know, raised with foundational values and morality and, and faith and spirituality. And then this, uh, it was a prodigal son story, you know, flipping everybody the bird and saying, now it's my turn. You know, now it's it, it's it's time to live for myself. And uh, I did that for, for 10 years, you know, from 18 to 28. And and climbing up New York's social ladder, I wanted to be, you know, the king of nightlife. And 10 years later, I, I probably got to top six or top eight in the city. And a, and a picture of my life after 10 years of selfish living, you know, I, I had a Rolex and a BMW and a grand piano in my New York apartment. And the girls I dated were always on... Uh, the covers of magazines are on billboards and we chased models and we chased the party scene around the world. And there was this moment uh, in, in Punta del Este in, in South America where uh, it was a new year's Eve vacation and there were servants and horses and uh, I was with all the right people and they had planes and they were throwing $10,000 hands, of blackjack down without a care in the world, whether they won or lost them. And, I realized that in so many ways I'd arrived, you know, I'd gotten almost everything I'd been chasing and I had this epiphany that there would never be enough. You know, I was, I was looking for, uh, for joy, for meaning in all of the wrong places and there would be never enough girls. There'd never be enough parties. There'd never be enough status. There'd never be enough, uh, power. Uh, and I just saw brokenness everywhere. It was almost like, uh, this veil was lifted and, you know, the 60 year old guys with private planes throwing down $10,000 hands at, at blackjack, you know, they were, they were broken. Their wives, uh, their ex-wives hated them. Their kids wouldn't talk to them as they were dating girls that were, you know, often younger than, than their daughters. Right. And the thing that I had been facilitating, the story that I had been telling people, hey, get past my velvet rope, get past the one-way glass of the club, get drunk inside on $500 bottles of Cristal, and then your life will have meaning. That that story was, was the wrong story. And that if I continued down this path, my legacy was going to be, you know, here lies a man who got millions of people drunk. And I didn't want that on my tombstone. And I realized that I was emotionally bankrupt. I was spiritually bankrupt. I was morally bankrupt. And I'd come so far from the values and the morality uh, uh, of my youth, and, and I wanted it back. I, I wanted a radical change. And you know, being a pretty radical guy, that, that looked like selling all my possessions and uh, going to live in the poorest country of the world uh, in, in service of others alongside some doctors, Um, Actually, even paying $500 a month to the organization just to let me volunteer because nobody would take a nightclub promoter at first.
0: I mean, this just points back to you, Fire Nation, and looking at your life and saying, hey, like, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing right now, my legacy is in my own hands. And when you were telling that story, Scott, I just kind of... Thinking of, you know, that classic story, you know, a Christmas story where, you know, Scrooge is like, is that like my gravestone? Like, is that what's written on my grave? And, you know, the answer was no. Like, he had time to change. And he did, just like you at 28 years old. I mean, you had time to change. And Fire Nation, you know, whether you're 70, 30, 15, it doesn't matter. I mean, your legacy is in your own hands. Like, tomorrow's pages are blank. You have the pen to your book right now. Like, what is your life going to be like? Scott, what is that one one takeaway that you really want to make sure that our listeners get from just that veil that was lifted from your eyes?
1: You know, I think it's positional. A life in service of yourself and, and uh, the pursuit of, of your own happiness leads to no happiness at all. And, you know, I, I, mine was a spiritual journey. It was a faith journey, and, and I rediscovered uh, the, the, uh, a very lost faith, a very lost morality um, you know, for me, I, I remember coming across this verse in the Bible that said true religion is to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. So I was oh for 2, you know, <laughs> I had done nothing for the poor for a decade. And not only was I the most polluted person I knew, I actually polluted others for a living. Right. Uh, and I think it was just a radical change. So a life in service of others, a life of integrity, um, returning to those values and morality, uh, that, uh, that I'd really been brought up with, um, you know, I was able to find happiness there, uh, by, by looking after others.
0: Scott, let's bring things to the present now and let's talk about you as an entrepreneur. What would you consider your biggest weakness? I
1: think I just want to do everything. And and uh, I'm sure this is you know true for a lot of people listening. You know you, you've got a lot of energy. You just see opportunity everywhere. You know you're excited about those opportunities. Uh, I I think sometimes I I lack focus. You know instead of doing the three things exceptionally well, uh, I might try to do seven or ten things.
0: Scott, this might help you. This is my acronym for the word focus. Follow okay, cool. one course until success. Focus. I like it. Boom! It's yours, brother. Well, just give I me like cre- give me credit twice, and then after that, it's yours. <laughs> nice, <laughs> Scott. What is your biggest strength?
1: I think I'm a storyteller, and uh, I, I I see stories everywhere. I love telling stories, and you know, if you look at the two decades of my life, um, you know, the decade of partying and, and telling that story—that getting drunk and laid—you know—gives right. your life meaning. And then the you know coming up on a decade with charity water, um, you know a life of generosity and compassion and empathy and service uh, will will give your life meaning and and, and give you a, a legacy that you and your family could be proud of. Um, but I think it's about it's about stories and, and you know now we, we look for redemptive stories. we look for stories of hope. we look for stories that that move people, um, to almost call forth the gold that's within people, uh, to encourage them to um, to almost surprise themselves by the the virtue that's within them, and you know having having an organization that's trying to help six hundred and some million people get clean water, there's just so many stories. I mean, if you just think of of the Charity Water Universe, I love telling stories about the people that we serve. Uh, of a woman in Uganda who got clean water and told me that she felt beautiful for the first time in her life or told our colleague that she felt beautiful for the first time in her life because she had enough water now to wash her face and her clothes and that water restored dignity to her life. Um, the stories of uh, of our fundraisers, of a six-year-old girl named Maddie who lives in Vancouver and spent 12 weekends out there selling lemonade for Charity Water. Uh, one of those weekends, it rained, and she didn't come in. And at her 12th lemonade stand, she wanted to attract lemonade buyers, so she convinced a local band to perform on her sidewalk. <laughs> and she sold $5,300 worth of lemonade um, to give you know 150 people clean water. Uh, the stories of our local partners, our drillers in Ethiopia. I was just there three days ago. And our, our drillers are getting up working 29 out of 30 days a month. They want to maximize every single... Uh, moment in the dry season to help lead their own people forward, to lead their country forward, uh, to bring health and, and improved economic uh, benefits to, to their citizens. Uh, the stories of our donors, the stories of our staff, uh, I think we're just, we're, we're really trying to move culture with stories. And, you know, I even see stories in unlikely places. I'll give you an example. Uh, we, we crowdsourced a million dollar drilling rig a couple years ago. Ten thousand people uh, gave money to to put a new million dollar drilling rig in, in action in Ethiopia, and and it's it's a tough environment to work in. I mean, this is in the middle of nowhere in a state called Tigray in the north, uh, really hard to reach some of these communities that we're we're serving. And I learned through the grapevine that our million dollar rig has run off the road and crashed. Basically, it's on its belly, and our local partners were were fixing it and. Um, we're, we're writing it and getting the right equipment to get it back in action again. And they were a little sheepish. You know, they hadn't, they hadn't wanted to to tell us, right? They were just going to do the right thing and uh, it, would, it would take them about a month to get it back in action. And I hear this and I'm like, no, that's a story. Send a photographer out there. Get me a picture of our rig, our brand new million dollar rig, belly up. And I'm going to send that to the 10,000 people that paid for it. Because what it speaks to is the values behind the work ethic of our partners. They are not just drilling wells in the easy places. They are not, you know, pulling off of the the, the big roads and the highways. Um, they're willing to go to the most far-flung villages to get water to the people who need it the most. And sometimes the roads are dodgy. And sometimes stuff happens. And, and they probably shouldn't have gone down that road with the rake. But the community on the other end was waiting and the community needed water. So, you know, I think uh, what may be seen as a failure uh, to our partners and maybe to a lot of organizations, you know, I wanted to shout from the mountaintops as, hey, this is the reality. It doesn't always work. It's not easy, but it's worth doing. And and this speaks to the values of the people that are stewarding that resource that the 10,000 people contributed to.
0: Fire Nation. I have no doubt that you have no doubt that Scott is going to crush the lightning round that we're about to enter. Scott, are you prepared for the lightning rounds?
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: (laughs) What was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur?
1: It's tough. I I was starting things as as young as I can remember, (laughs) some with more (laughs) success than others. But I I think I always just uh, had that entrepreneurial spirit.
0: What's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Two categories. One, uh, work advice. Um, I saw a saying that someone sent me a picture of once, and it said, do not be afraid of work that never ends. And I love that. You know, I don't know if we're going to get 660 million people clean water. Uh, When we finish that, there's going to be another need we're going to meet, you know, whether it's uh, shelter, whether it's hunger, whether it's health. Um, but, But don't be afraid of that. You know, don't be afraid of of work that, that might not have a neat ending. Uh, personal advice, the, the best thing I ever heard is, uh, the only person you can change in your marriage is you. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that's married uh, probably knows that.
0: What is a personal habit that contributes to your success?
1: I think for me, it's really prayer. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a spiritual life that you know, that is is real to me. Um, a belief that, you know, life is not about me or my happiness, but it's about serving others. It's, um, it is looking after the widows and orphans. It's trying to, to live a life of compassion and generosity and integrity and, and to be a, a, a great role model for for my, my kids.
0: Can you share an internet resource like Evernote with Fire Nation?
1: Yeah, I love this little app called Clear, best productivity app I have ever used. Um, I have tried a million to-do lists Uh, over the years and clear app is is my absolute favorite it stuck with me for for the last couple years love pocket as well for for readers i'm one of those chronic pocketers i just keep saving stuff for later and then every (laughs) once in a while we'll we'll batch read on a plane and you know go read 60 articles
0: that's what i was gonna say you know when you're flying to ethiopia that can be a nice time to catch up on pocket now if you could recommend just one book scott for fire nation what would it be and why yeah,
1: it's a book um, on story called The Elements of Persuasion uh, by a guy named Robert Dickman. Um, it talks a lot about the hero's journey and just how, how people respond to stories, you know, how, how to move people uh, through story.
0: Scott, this is the last question of the lightning round, but it is a doozy. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a brand new world, identical to Earth, but you knew no one. You still have all the experience and knowledge you currently have. Your food and shelter is taken care of, but all you have is a laptop and $500. What would you do in the next seven days?
1: Well, the the old life might have uh, tried to throw a party right. <laughs> and get as many people drunk as, uh, as possible. I mean, that sounds like a post-apocalyptic uh, right. scenario. Um, I, I think now, you know, it would be... Uh, I mean, if I've got my food and shelter and my needs met, then, you know, I'm probably very, very fortunate in whatever scenario this is. It'd be to, you know, go and seek out uh, the greatest needs in the area. Um, you know, find the marginalized people, find the injured people and, and try to, you know, build community and, and look for ways to help them out and to, to share, obviously, what I have.
0: Well, Scott, I want to end today on fire with you sharing a parting piece of guidance, the best way that we can connect and, and support with Charity Water. And then we'll say goodbye.
1: Oh, man, a uh, piece of guidance, I think, is just, uh, you know, if there's anything to take from my story, it's, it's 10 years of, of selfish living that, um, that really led nowhere. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad I was able to survive it. And um, I, I think anything can be redeemed. You know, I'm very fortunate that I was able to uh, take so many of the things that I, I learned through that decade that was helpful to no one, <laughs> not even myself, um, and, and turn them for good. You know, nothing is kind of beyond uh, redemption. And, you know, I've had this incredible opportunity to, you know, yeah, lead an organization and, and lead a, a group of a million people who have said, you know, we can do something uh, about this, this mind-numbing uh, statistic about the 600 million people living in poverty. And, you know, make a little dent in that, be able to help, uh, you know, coming up on 6 million people around the world and 17,000 villages get clean water. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's never too late. I mean, if you had, you know, seen me bent over a, a plate of cocaine at an after hours at noon, you know, you, you would have thought I was gone. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wouldn't live to see 40. And, you know, I was really fortunate to, to kind of found my way out of that in a, in a really extreme way and, and be able to, to live a very different story. Ways to connect with us, you know, we're at charitywater.org, and I think one of the one of the things that that everybody can do that we've had so much success with is uh, we we give people an opportunity to donate their birthday for clean water. Oh, cool! And turn the birthday into a giving moment. You know, birthdays for so many people are about getting stuff for themselves, about gifts and ties and wallets and handbags and shoes and. You know, we've said, look, we don't need more crap. There are 600 and some million people without water. Uh, What if you could use your birthday for good? What if you could use your birthday to serve others? And we've created this program, uh, a platform called MyCharityWater.org. And and it's very simple. You ask for your age in dollars or pounds or euros. So a seven-year-old kid will say, don't get me anything. I'm not having a party. Just donate $7 for my birthday. And an 89-year-old would ask for $89 and a 42-year-old would ask for $42. And, um, you know, we've been able to raise tens of millions of dollars uh, just through everyday people saying, you know, I, I can't write a big check, but you could have my birthday. Yeah. And uh, and I, I might be able to get a few of my friends and family to uh, to help Charity Water through that. So uh, that, that's a really simple thing. Even if your birthday is a year from now, you could just go to charitywater.org slash birthdays and, uh, and learn more about how that works.
0: I love that. And Fire Nation, I know you know this. You are the average of the five people that you hang out with the most. And you've been hanging out with Scott Harrison and JLD today. So keep up the heat. You know, we're talking like the last nine years, Scott Harrison, not the 18 to 28 (laughs) year old Scott Harrison. (laughs) So. Fire Nation, head over to eofire.com. Just type Scott in the search bar. His show notes page will pop up with everything that we've been talking about today. And of course, go directly to charitywater.org and mycharitywater.org. And that birthday idea is phenomenal. I've just actually made a note I'm turning thirty-six in about a month, so you better believe that uh, that's what I'm doing, Fire Nation. So, dude,
1: I will be your first donor at one hundred thirty-six bucks.
0: Oh, so reach out. You I have will, the Scott.
1: Least reason to do the birthday.
0: Ah, oh, you're the man. I love that. And Scott, I do want to personally thank you for sharing your journey with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Fire Nation, thank you for listening to EO Fire. Visit EOFire.com for killer resources, free trainings, and so much more. Give the gift of freedom to your friend or loved one with The Freedom Journal, and they will accomplish their number one goal in 100 days. Visit TheFreedomJournal.com and ignite!